Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to a new episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Matt Shields. Uh, Matt, if you want to give everybody a, a bit of an intro to yourself, uh, and we'll get into it. Yeah, so we invest in large multifamily uh properties. We've got properties in Ohio, Georgia, and uh, Texas right now. Um, and we've been doing that for probably about five or six years now. We, we've grown pretty pretty quickly. So That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Do uh, you want me to just kind of jump into things or do you have... Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm informal. Like I'm, I'm just having a conversation. That's why I like, you're probably like, you didn't plan nothing. You know? uh, no, I love it. I love it. That's the same <laughs> way I do my podcast too. Just whatever, whatever topics come up, you know. Um, Okay. So, so, uh, you know, with, with, I, I, obviously, uh, there's been more, more wealth generated by real estate or with real estate than pretty well any other vehicle. Right. And depending on what it is that you're looking for, there's a lot of benefits to it. I've got some other companies, I've got a technology company as well. Yep. And, you know, part of it sort of cycles through and feeds one another where, um, you know, the technology company is doing well, I can invest that into the multifamily uh, opportunities, which then that money will grow on its on its own. And I also get depreciation for the technology company, right? So great, great avenue if you have other sources of income to be able to, you know, just roll those, those, those profits over and be able to uh, generate uh, write-offs through the depreciation in the various different assets. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, maybe go into a little bit about how you get the depreciation because I'm not perfectly 100% clear on how you get it on your your tech company. I get it on real estate. Yep. So so the tech company basically will invest into into the property, right? So it's it's oh, got its own accounts. They're going to get the depreciation credit. From exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when we do like a cost segregation study, it gets you know whatever the percentage right. is that it's invested in. So. Um, so yeah, so it's a way to be able to take that cash that would normally just be sitting there or, you know, maybe, you know, if, if you don't need to reinvest it into the company or anything like that, this is a way to be able to, again, invest it into something else. It grows for you. And then, you know, again, you get the depreciation or the, the write-offs deductions, however you want to look at that, uh, you know, through that, through that, uh, investment. So, yeah. And that's also cool because you're you get to you're running the both both businesses so you can set that up. Um, I know some syndicators they they give you I, honestly if I was going to invest I'd be looking for one that uh, does give depreciation credits. Some of them keep them to themselves. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yeah. We 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 always do cost segregation studies and it's it's great. You know that first year if you can get all of the work done. Uh, or you know, a good chunk of the work done, the capex that you're going to put into that property, you know, you get 100% of that back basically. So, um, I think the second year is 80% of whatever you put into the property. So it you know kind of diminishes from there. But, uh, but yeah, we always we always share that with the investors with whatever you know, however uh, they, however much they've in, uh, in, invested into the property, then that's what they get the percentage of the the re depreciation for. I've had a bunch of syndicators on here. Maybe I'm just, I'll do a bit, a little bit of backstory. And some of them are just buying, they're buying the properties that, you know, you or I would renovate. And then, you know, when we sell them at the end, they're buying the end product. And I, mm -hmm. I don't see how there's anything left in that. So if you were um, an investor and you're trying to choose your syndicator, what, what, what kind of things you'd be looking for? Yeah. So the way that I'll say the way that we do things, because I, I feel like, I feel like 
we are answering uh, our our solution kind of answers that question the way that we look for things right so um you know we 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 always like to under promise and over deliver so uh one of the one of the things that you should look out for is someone who is you know claiming that they're going to have a 20 25% IRR right that sounds like a you know a great return but at the same time you know they might be stretching to be able to achieve those returns and um you know i'm not saying that that's not possible but don't don't buy into the fact that like don't pass over another opportunity to be able to go into an opportunity that someone is claiming that they're going to make you know twenty five percent because there's a good chance that they're probably going to miss that too, right? So if it if it looks too good to be true, you know chances are it probably is. But again, you know there are opportunities out there that you can do that and much more you know in real estate as well. So you kind of want to go through and and look at um, you know the deal itself. I would say that. Doing your own due diligence on the the comps uh, that they are looking at is is very very important as well. Um, so, and and that's just like anything else where you want to find other properties in that general area that include elements of the business plan, right? So, you know, you mentioned a lot of people were going through and already or buying the properties that have already been improved. So you would want to go and look at all of the 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 units or the the buildings in that area that have already been improved and what are they getting for rent? And and one of the secrets that a lot of people like to glance over is people will will say, you know, here's a two we have a two bedroom apartment. Um we're going to ask $1,200 for it, right? Oh, but I see over here, they've got a two bedroom uh, apartment and they're asking 1600. So we should be able to get 1600, right? And that's kind of the, the thought process that a lot of people will go through. Yeah. But what you need to look at, what you need to look at is calculate out what the, the price per square foot is, right? Which kind of gets back to, you know, our podcast as well. Um, it all revolves around, you know, that, that price per square foot and what you can, what you can get for that price per square foot, right? So, um, you know, we've been in situations or we've seen situations where, uh, you know, someone was expecting that they were going to be able to get, again, just throwing a number out, $1,500 a month, because that's what the comps are. That's what the other two bedrooms are. But then, you know, the two bedrooms that are actually in that property are, you know, very, very much small, very much more uh, smaller than the comp property, right? So then that obviously limits your ability to be able to increase those rents to what you're expecting to, which then obviously, you know, gets into all the, the returns and all of that. So you want to be very mindful of what they are anticipating getting on a price per square foot and then, you know, making sure that that matches up with the, uh, with the area, uh, you know, the area pricing. So, um, uh, th so those are a couple of things, you know, and it, it, again, for us, um, you know, whenever we're we're looking at other partnerships or anything, we want to be able to to understand the people behind the opportunity as well. Have they gone through some adversity? Have they, you know, have things blown up on them? Right. If you haven't had anything blow up on you, either you're not pushing hard enough or uh, you're, you're you're being too conservative. But things are going to happen, right? It's yeah. it's 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 not always going to be. Uh, you know, roses and clouds that that are going to uh, unfold with these properties. So, 
you want to make sure that people have gone through those those types of situations and led the team to be able to you know make sure that they they see that project through on the other side rather than oh sorry guys you know we're we can't do anything here right so yeah no I, that's that just reminded me of like doing like you know when you're hiring property managers the same thing like if i'm getting a referral from somebody and they're just like yeah i know that everything's been perfect and you're like well, that's that's not that doesn't do anything for me. That means they may not have had anything to do. Like I want to hear some adversity. I want to hear yep. them solving problems. I want to yep. want to because that's what this is. That's this business is is solving problems, right? It's yep. not, uh, you know, it, well, it's yeah. buying properties properly too, right? But you know, a lot of it's solving problems. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and you know, it's amazing, especially on the property management side of things. So we actually have our own property management company and our own construction company. So we you know kind of cycle through and yep. do all that work uh, ourselves, but. It, you know, the, the, the number of things that have come up throughout the course of our career, it's just, it's unreal. Some of the, some of the situations that present themselves when you're dealing with tenants and all of that. I mean, there's just no way to be able to predict, project everything uh, that's going to happen. Roadblocks, issues, hurdles. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and they like, when we were talking like just a minute ago, when we were talking about like, you know, things to look for in a syndicator too, is if you're looking at their underwriting, what I want to see is that they're doing some sort of value add to this. Like what, how, why is it getting pushed up in value besides just the market? Yep. Yep. Especially in this market. I know Texas, you, you mentioned you do Texas and it's still a really strong market, even through a recession. Um, but I don't want them to be relying on the appreciation to be able to sell it for what and get us our 20 or 25% yep. uh, or whatever whatever they've mentioned. Right. I, I want to make sure that it, there's something that's, there's a, a cause for the, the result that's going to happen. Yep. Hello everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that I've created a new coaching program. I believe the new coaching program has way more value than any of the programs that have even existed in the past. What we've done is pre-recorded all the lessons so that you can work through it at your own pace, which is pretty cool. And then we're going to meet up on a regular basis to answer the questions, do deal analysis, and actually spend our time together working on things instead of spending our time learning things. I think this will make a seamless transition to buying in the United States and will help you solve a lot of your problems. If this is of interest to you, go to glensutherland.com slash coaching. I hope to help you guys invest in the United States and I hope we provide as much value as possible. Back to the podcast. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Couldn't agree more. And and again, that's that's kind of where, you know, depending on what the strategy is there when they're purchasing it, you know, we, we do this exact same thing where we only purchase assets that need that work so that you know to your point you obviously have that you have that uh you know that delta there between where the rents are and where they can be you know once you do those improvements um so yeah again and having a having a team that has experience in construction obviously and and you know managing or running those types of of projects um you know whether that be the actual syndicator or if that's another team that the syndicate syndicator is partnered with you want to make sure that there is someone there that has that experience to be able to to pull that off because we've actually gone gone behind and uh purchased assets after you know someone who thought that they knew construction or thought that they knew what they were going to do or how to manage that project um you know basically destroyed the project and then we came in and you know we're able to you know make an opportunity out of that situation so 
Yeah. And you just, you mentioned a minute ago that you were like, you have your own property management and construction companies. When you're starting that, do you, did you buy a company to start with or you, you built that right from, yeah, right so, from scratch? So we built the, both of them from scratch. Um, I, I have a background in construction as well. Uh, I used to be an electrical contractor for about 10 years or so. I've probably been in the trades for, I don't know, 15, 17 years, something like that. So, um, you know, that, that, that made perfect sense, you know, for us. And we pretty well will just partner with other construction companies for the most part in the various different cities that we go into. Right. So we're still managing that process. We do have project managers and all of that, that manage the, the project, but we don't necessarily have, we have a few, few like people that, that can go in and do some of the work, but typically our crews are not the ones going in and, and doing the work itself. We're just more or less managing that, that particular construction project. Oh, okay. So you kind of like, a, so you don't have, I'm just trying to get my head wrapped around that. That's yep. interesting. So you, you, you basically manage the contractors and you just get higher subs uh, in each spot or you hire like a contracting company. Normally we'll hire, we've done it both ways. So it, it depends on how many subs we have in an area. Uh, sometimes we'll just hire the, the GC that we're then essentially managing the GC uh, there as well. So both ways. Okay. No, I like it. And then um, I think you kind of just answered my question. What I was going to ask you was, you know, Ohio, Georgia, Texas, you, you say you have your own property manager and construction company. So you have to really set up like three different teams, one for each one, or can you have like a project manager or whatever from manage these from all from one location to all those three different locations? Yeah, so we are completely remote, more or less. Um, I'm actually in the the headquarter office right now, and uh, the office is pretty well. You know, we can fit three desks in here or so, um, but I'm pretty well the only one that ever comes here. So uh, everything is done remotely. Um, you know, we, my partners in Atlanta, pretty well, the reason why we, we got started between Georgia and, and Cleveland or Georgia and Ohio uh, is because I'm in Cleveland, my partner's in Atlanta. So we started growing from there. And then, um, you know, we had some opportunities present themselves in, in Houston. So that's kind of how the, how the, uh, uh, the genesis, I guess you can say of those operations, uh, you know, has grown. And obviously as, as we, get into new cities, you know, we start bringing on, you know, various different staff members. So sometimes if, if one, one property needs a little bit more help, you know, maybe the, the maintenance guy from one of the properties will go over and help uh, manage some things on the other property. So it, you know, it's not like it's, um, you know, a, a, a complete new team across the board, unless, you know, we're just getting into that area. Yeah. And so like, it makes sense. And, you know, having a guy in Georgia and you being in Ohio, you can go, you know, should you need to, even though you say you're like a remote business, like you could go on site, right? A lot. Mm -hmm. of oh yeah. And, and yeah, that's, I should say that we're not, we never, it's not like we never go on, on site, right? We're, we're on site. Somebody's on site probably at least once a month. And again, depending on what the, what the situations are, what's going on, um, you know, could be a multiple times a month. I'm just saying that we don't necessarily, you know, we're not in each city every single day and, you know, managing the, the projects in that particular city. We've got people that manage the various different stages from all over the place. So the, the property management team obviously is on site every day. And then, you know, we, we help manage them through the property management company. So, yeah. 
so for like a lot of people who listen to this, they're Canadians or actually a lot of people when I look at like Apple and stuff where, where people are listening to is a lot of Northern states as well. Um, so to relate, I'm thinking the Texas projects are probably the most relatable because you're not in the same um, same city at all. So mm-hmm. how often do you have to travel over to Texas or do you even have to go there or you just go there to shake hands and kiss babies? And- <laughs> uh, so myself, again, I probably... I probably go maybe once a quarter or so. Okay. Uh, but someone from the team, again, that one's under construction. So from someone from the construction team will be there at least once a month. And again, depending what is going on, it could be a, a couple of times a month, right? Um, okay. So, and, and, but, you know, with that, we have multiple Zoom meetings, you know, throughout the week and we have, you know, project updates meetings all the time. I mean, that, that's what I basically do pretty well. Most of the day is, is, you know, drive those meetings and make sure that everybody has what they need to be able to, uh, you know, complete, complete their work. Right. So. Yeah. And you just, you just said construction, like you talking like uh, ground up or uh, renovation, like uh, you're. So we haven't done any ground up construction. We actually have an opportunity right now to do like a, tw- I think it's 28 unit uh, condo development in uh, a suburb of of uh, uh, of um, Atlanta. So that'll be the first new construction that we've done. Everything we've done previous to that has been, um, you know, renovation type work. And the assets have gone, I think the oldest assets we have are probably 1950 or so. Uh, we have some, you know, pretty old ones uh, in in some great areas. Um, to the newest one, uh, I think the newest one is probably ninety five or so. So, um, you know, all all throughout that that area. So, if you're doing like a basically renovation construction on that property down in Texas, um, I assume you're using a lender as well. Is there like a occupancy level you have to keep throughout this? Because it's always the complicated part because you just want to empty the place out to do the renovation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've been in various different situations and again, this kind of, it really depends on where the property is when you originally take it over. Right. Um, We had one property that had, it was actually six different buildings that were not continuous. Right. So this isn't one, just, just one community It was, you know, different buildings all, you know, within a half mile of each other. Right. Three of those buildings were pretty low occupancy, like in the 70s or so. The other ones were 85, 90, something like that. Uh, We had the lender tell us that you have to get those three properties up to 90% before we're going to give you anything more, you know, in the CapEx dollars, right? So we had to go from, and I believe if I remember correctly, the the hurdle or the, the number that they gave us was $800,000. So we basically had $800,000 that out of a, that was a $3.8 million uh, construction project, uh, renovation project. Uh, So we had $800,000 to put into three different properties to be able to bring them up to 90% occupancy before the bank would allow us to uh, take any more than that $800,000, right? So this was like a huge puzzle being able to figure out you know, what is it that we do to be able to, you know, 
get these three buildings up to 90% occupancy. And mind you, the bank didn't walk through 100% of these these units. No. To this day, still don't know how the heck they they arrived at the $800,000 mark, but that was the mark, uh, and we had to figure out how to make that happen. So fortunately, we were able to do it, and and once we got up to that, it wasn't you know wasn't an issue. Um, but to to answer your question, you know, it really depends on the lender. Some lenders are a little bit more restrictive. Some lenders are a little bit more, um, you know, willing to let you go forward with things. All of the lenders will basically the the process is you'll submit. We need this money for these projects, right? And if those are projects that are just getting started. Sometimes the bank will give you a little bit of uh, of money, fifty percent down, whatever it is, to be able to start a project. We've also had banks say, "No, we only reimburse you, so we basically have to fund the the project first to get it going, and then we're essentially playing catch up, where we're always getting the money back, right?" But the the banks will always require that that um, you know that that um, that re that that request the draw request. And then they'll send out a inspector to be able to ver verify, validate that you actually did what it was that you said that you did, right? So we've had situations too where, you know, the banks, again, there's all kinds of situations that happen, but we had one situation where the bank knew that we had like 92 units that we had to uh, renovate. So they they had the total amount that we were going to be putting into inside of the units they had that total amount and they split the amount out equally across all of the different apartments but that wasn't the way that the project was going to go and we never had this conversation with them prior to starting it right so there were some units that needed more money than other ones and when we went and got the draw we requested i don't remember what the number was but just say you know five hundred thousand dollars we requested yeah. um and and they came back and said, no, no, you're only 20% or I think it was like 5% of the way done with these projects, you know, based on investing the same amount into each one of the units. But we started on the more expensive units first. So yeah. the problem that, that that created was we were expecting to get the $500,000. We only got like 120 of it, I think, something like that, which we've got all of these vendors that we have to pay, all of these contractors that have to get paid. And the bank will only do a draw request. Essentially, the quickest that they could fund it was like three weeks. So, you know, we had to figure out how to how to keep everybody satisfied for three weeks because we didn't want the project to stop, no. but because the bank didn't didn't necessarily understand that we're putting more into you know certain units less into other units it's not split equally it, it, it completely changed you know the 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 draw schedule and the payment schedule so yeah. it was an interesting learning experience but that's what this is all about is you know you go through you learn and okay we're not going to make that mistake next time so is that what um, the, 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 the is that the the takeaway is if you're going to do it again start with the easier ones get a whole bunch of them like fully done fully rented hit your occupancy level pull be able to do bigger polls? Yeah, well, so the way we're very uh, 
very process oriented right so we now have a, you know a unit tracker that basically we lay all of this plan out and we share all of that with the lenders so that way again it just keeps everybody on the same page whereas before that we didn't necessarily we weren't sharing other lenders hadn't asked for that before but it makes sense how this could present itself so rather than going down the road maybe the next lender doesn't require it or doesn't need it but the next one might so our process is now to make sure that we're including that unit tracker with you know budgets on a per unit basis so that way again there's no questions moving forward so we've uh we've basically solved that issue because of the learning that we've gone through and that's what you keep doing with this is as you experience something as something blows up in your face those things that don't go right like what we started this with you want to learn from those and adjust to them and put processes, systems in place so that if six months from now, you're in the exact same situation again, it doesn't blow up in your face again. So that's great advice. Love it. Good stuff. Well, guess we're getting to the 20 minute mark, Matt. Um, people wanted to track you down, uh, wanted to pick your brain, invest with you, whatever, listen to your podcasts. Like wh how do they find you? Yeah, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, which it's just Matthew Shields, and then the podcast, which is probably the best best thing to keep up with what we're doing, what, what types of projects we're in, and there's all kinds of learning on there too for other entrepreneurs. And pretty well anybody in business is going to be able to learn something from it. That is Invest in Square Feet. So just go to investinsquarefeet.com, and of course it's on all of the various different platforms that uh, wherever you listen to podcasts at as well. So I had to ask you what, what, what square feet you want to explain the name? <laughs> yeah. So again, it gets back to how important it is to break it down, to understand that project and, and invest in, you are making an investment into the square feet. So is that square foot feet valuable or is that square foot valuable? Um, how valuable is it? You know, there, what is the, the uh, like highest and best use for like, you know, doing construction e and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. For whatever reason in my head, I was picturing like physically like square feet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it's, it, it, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people do that and, and uh, the name starts to generate conversation in itself as well. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, what is, what does that mean? And then when you explain it, Oh, that makes sense. And that's a great way to look at it. Right. But yeah, yeah. again, it should, it should all come back down to, you know, square feet, make sure that you're comparing the same square foot to the same square feet to be able to make sure that your investment's going to be able to pay off. So. Awesome. Well, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, Lots of, I think there's lots of stuff for people here. Um, so that was great. Love it. Excellent. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me.